You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast for water leaders to discover solutions and create change. I'm the host, Travis Loop. How can public-private partnerships be used to address a community's priorities with water? In this episode, the concept of community-based P3 is discussed with Dominique Lukenhoff, a former water official at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and a senior fellow at the U.S. Water Alliance. Dominique explains how the approach arose to reduce pollution under the Chesapeake Bay TMDL and is now becoming more prevalent around the country. Dominique shares examples of how stormwater management and green infrastructure were addressed in Prince George's County, Maryland, and Chester, Pennsylvania, using community-based P3s. Now to the conversation. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Excited for this episode to be joined by Dominique Lukenhoff. I worked with her at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. She was a, a senior official uh, in many capacities at EPA. She's also now a senior fellow at the U.S. Water Alliance, really focused on equitable infrastructure. Dominique, thank you for coming on the podcast. Sure, great, great to be here and great to see you again. Yeah, there's a million topics I could talk to you about, right? You have expertise in so many different aspects of water, involved in so many things. But let's focus a little bit on uh, P3, uh, public-private partnerships, um, something you hear a lot about. Maybe everybody doesn't know what that mean means. What is a P3? It's typically uh, an approach to using the best of what a private partner can bring to uh, design, finance, build, operate, and maintain infrastructure. And uh, transportation, for example, um, huge projects, lots of money, uh, time-sensitive delivery uh, to find efficiencies, you know, have used uh, public-private partnerships. The military has used public-private partnerships and oftentimes it's to take, have the private partner take on certain risks uh, that the public or the government partner, um, in this case, uh, you know, uh, can't for a variety of reasons. It may be legal liabilities. It may be financial limitations. And uh, there's more interest in public-private partnerships because, quite honestly, as it relates to infrastructure, and if we're, you know, following... Uh, what ASCE, Society of Engineers, uh, you know, scorecards on infrastructure in this country from roads to water, um, uh, et cetera, it has uh, been failing. It's deteriorated. There's not enough public money uh, for the types of repairs um, that, we, that we have, that we need. So the, the idea is how do you use these types of relationships? And often legislation has driven, uh, specific P3 legislation has driven the capability of a state using a P3. Um, However, it's not limited uh, to to having that legislation in place, as we found with our community-based P3 approaches that we've used for a large-scale integrated green infrastructure. Mm. I hope that yeah, very, very helpful. Um, and you just said uh, community-based P3. And I've noticed a couple places in writing where that kind of comes before, a little a little precursor. What, what does it mean when you add that community-based dimension to P3? I have been involved nationally with a team at EPA to 
to really promote, drive, e evaluate the use of green infrastructure um, for addressing runoff, but also achieving additional co-benefits in a, in a community. And, you know, uh, this includes, you know, practices like rain gardens and planting more trees, essentially re removing impervious cover, which in many inner city communities, they don't have much, many trees and they have lots of impervious cover. And the impervious cover was creating problems with additional um, volume of rain and runoff and running off faster. Uh, because we build everything on a slope and scouring out those stream systems, which would self-erode and create more sediment problems. So green infrastructure became a natural solution. Um, communities could see that, you know, improvement uh, with the additional green. You've got improved air quality. Um, you've got more protection from urban heat. Um, and there were opportunities to put local people to work. So that's my long answer. Is, uh, so as I looked at, um, we we did we actually conducted a number of national expert panels um, on how can we um, re remove barriers, at least from a, a regulatory standpoint. Um, in this case, EPA remove barriers to innovation, including large scale green infrastructure, um, and um, expedite uh, the Bay TMDL. And so that so we we actually had academicians, we had um, you know practitioners even from the Northwest who had been doing a lot of green infrastructure. We had manufacturers of treatment devices. Um, you know we we had a, a very diverse group, and one of the findings was you know that uh, you know government procurement systems really weren't set up to get that sort of streamlined delivery of large-scale green infrastructure because it doesn't care if it's a, a big treatment plant or a, a smaller rain garden. Um, you still have all the overhead and, and then that's not efficient. Um, but also that as public entities, we don't seek the help of the private sector to the degree we can. And that's not just with regards to financing, that was with regards to practical know-how on the ground um, in understanding what works and what doesn't, um, and and that we di we didn't use public-private partnerships, hmm. and so that then sent us on the next track, which was to look at the different types of P3s out there that could track with delivering large-scale integrated, you know, uh, green infrastructure for stormwater, and we found a couple that really worked. But we realized that with green infrastructure, it really is very place-based and community-based. And I didn't want this to look like privatization, um, it, that it could achieve many values, including the creation of local jobs and small, you know, driving uh, small business growth, which creates jobs, and, and improving the quality of life in a community. So I suggested, hey, let's call this community-based P3s. That's, that's mm. where that came from. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds um, much more, uh, I guess, inclusive in a way, that it's, it's not just the government and the corporate sector out here doing something. Exactly. It's about actually localizing whatever the project is, considering what their needs are, even getting their input in exactly. the project. Is that right? That's exactly right. In fact... Um, key performance indicators are 
a, a cornerstone of the community-based P3 approach, uh, those, those key performance indicators we actually um, characterize as community priorities. Mm. Um, and in fact, um, the first community-based P3 that we launched was in Prince George's County, because Prince George's County had agreed to partner with us on trying an alternative approach. They were one of the $1.3 billion it's going to cost us. We don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> um, and when we when it was launched, and we uh, we actually developed a guide, uh, which which could use a bit of updating because we've learned so much now, seven or eight years <laughs> later. Um, and when it was launched in Prince George's County, it was launched um, in partnership the head of environmental uh, department, who is now the regional administrator, Adam uh, Ortiz here, yeah, um, and um, launched it in partnership with their economic redevelopment um, director. And it was launched more as an economic redevelopment community revitalization program than a stormwater compliance type program, because the, the one of the key performance indicators was we want to grow um, the capability of our community as an industry to do green infrastructure. In fact, to the extent where we train, we grow uh, small businesses, uh, we train the uh, residents, in fact, uh, on how to do this. Um, and we're able at some point to export that capability to other parts of the you know, I-95 and corridor and regional area. And so that was pretty innovative, right? When the way that was set up and structured, um, are there? I definitely want to talk about the Chester PA work, but but are there any other examples? Um, you know, success stories. This kind of community-based P three, especially tied to to green infrastructure, that you could share. Well, the, um, Milwaukee actually adopted it. Um, I've been actively working with Seattle. Um, the, uh, California, uh, actually San Diego uh, County just announced in an, uh, a huge, I think it's a 20 or $50 million, could be more, on uh, stormwater, to, uh, CBP3 specifically. Um, and so it's, uh, it's being um, addressed and utilized to different degrees hmm. uh, in, in different parts of the country. Uh, and in fact, there's more interest than we even imagined. Puerto Rico... Um, a number of communities are coming in because uh, they either want, they have money, but they aren't quite sure, they want to do, uh, use it to its best ability. They're very interested in green infrastructure as, as a, you know, a first approach, even though we recognize that to a large degree, you also want to fix the gray. Hmm. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute with Chester, because in many of these communities, it's also, we have low income neighborhoods. It may be, you know, um, a county of, of 50 municipalities, and they're trying to figure out how do we do this more effectively um, uh, countywide, but we also have very, you know, poor areas where no redevelopment is happening. So, you know, how do we support this from a revenue standpoint? And this does offer ways to do that in a watershed context um, and also ways to do blended uh, funding and financing because um, the state revolving fund, um, which it comes out of our Clean Water Act um, that we're hearing more about because there was a big infusion with um, the, the hmm. uh, bipartisan infrastructure act, uh, $55 billion for, for uh, clean for water. Um, 
you know, allows for low income, uh, 0% interest, 100% forgiveness. So that's a grant. Um, so now if you think about more collaboration and regional approaches in terms of how we address water quality needs and, and even, you know, water quantity does play into that. There are places out west have no water. Um, then you can now start to sort of average that out. And as I talked to one county, re recognizing some of their low-income communities that needed help, I said, hey, if you take a regional approach, instead of get, having to go for this t type of oral, you know, return on investment, higher interest rate money, um, that those areas can qualify for grants. And if you help them, this averages out to <laughs> less money out of your pocket mm. and, it, and an upstream downstream impact where it really becomes a more meaningful outcome in terms of, of um, you know, improved water quality and, and also addressing local flooding and climate. So the, the, it did open up, you know, the ability to start thinking a bit differently about how you can uh, fund and finance um, these types of approaches. It's really not limited to green infrastructure. And another thing in terms mm -hmm. of working with partners, um, you know, as I mentioned in the world of stormwater, um, you know, um, it's all about what you do on the land, right? What happens in the waters, what we do on the land and land use. And most land is privately owned. 70 to 80% land in this country, in some places more, um, is privately owned. Um, so how does a government that's got very limited right away address all this you know, non-point source problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the government is limited to a large degree in terms of access to those private lands and managing agreements um, to retrofit on those private lands. That's where a private partner in this type of approach comes in. That's, that's one element. Another element is short-term versus long-term. Uh, you know, with stormwater, it was, you know, let's, uh, we'll, we'll bring some, some uh, whether it's a bioretention cell um, or putting in some, some other aspect of addressing stormwater. And there was no requ requirement for a guarantee of how that was going to work. Um, there, there was also a nothing long-term. So, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, getting a, a benefit and efficiency out of a longer-term approach um, and financing versus short-term. And as I've also shared with communities, look, longer-term financing is going to get you um, more cost-effectiveness cost in terms of how you're spending your money. Um, with a private partner, you can also have that private partner um, seek the money and you don't have to float your own bond. In some cases where uh, communities can't even apply for some of this money, that private partner can. So it, it's how do you sort of do a real partnership with uh, shared risk mm. to get the job done? Who takes on what risk that they can best handle to together, you know, get that job done. Now it's very, very important uh, not only to set those priorities that work for that community in achieving those outcomes, but to select the right partner. Sure. Because uh, you know that's what gave uh, P3s, I think, a bad name is mm. um, if, if the, the, they, the wrong partner came in, 
uh, didn't do, uh, didn't meet what the, uh, the expectations were in terms of whether taking on risk or bringing in very expensive money that then that community, had, you know, um, or that service, right, um, had, had to pay back. Uh, you know, there's a history of that in developing countries where private equity came in so expensive and left these countries in, in worse debt because they're so desperate. Hmm. So, you know, that, that's another thing I learned because I had to learn a lot is on <laughs> financing. You know, beyond that, or that sort of financing, different types of bonds, private activity bonds, you know, green bonds now. And on, and, 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 and on the programmatic side, when you're running water programs, you're not, pay, you know, you're not versed in the markets, right? Right, right, absolutely, well, yeah. And, and so um, it, it's, it became very important that we start to teach each other and pay more attention to that. And I will say, Travis, that, you know, most infrastructure is not paid for by the federal government. Most, you know, 80 to 90 percent of costs for infrastructure across the board um, is paid by a local and state. I really love that point. You know, we just saw this huge, again, the huge infrastructure act and this, what, 50 billion for water. But think about even while that's getting paid out, how much the local people are going to be paying oh, for yeah. their infrastructure too. Yeah. yeah. And actually, it's the true cost that we have is around a trillion. Mm, that's what we that's what we right right it's unbelievable um all right well this all kind of really sets up i think nicely what the work in chester pa uh even in this national governor's association document about funding stormwater this this story this case study is part of that so could you talk about uh the situation in chester and what the kind of solution was Waterloo. we will return to the conversation in one minute after a word about our sponsor veruna in business, I believe that the quality of the people involved matter as much as the quality of the products. That's why I'm such a fan of Varuna. They have a new dynamic web-based tool that helps water systems to stay resilient by identifying and tracking more than two dozen risks. With all the challenges facing water systems these days, they need a one-stop solution like that. So the product is industry-leading. But then you add in the people. Varuna is run by Shay Faboudet and Jamel Carter, who are two of the brightest, most dedicated, and simply nicest people that I've met in water. I encourage you to reach out to Shay and Jamel to introduce yourself, form great new connections, and learn more about the tools they offer. Connect with them at varuna.city. They had, his, had historic flooding um, for 30 years um, in Chester Creek, which comes right through the town and dumps into the Delaware River. Um, and they wanted to clean up their community and they wanted to focus on water quality and green infrastructure. And I said, well, you know, I don't, we can't do that, but I think I have a, a, a platform and an approach that can build it from the ground up. And so that was the community-based P3 approach. And what I did was, you know, was a, a tailoring it now um, to include uh, the, de the development and launch of a stormwater utility. Um, and so we did a lot of work up front. I actually uh, did a lot of hands-on work uh, with Chester because I knew this was a whole different approach 
approached our state partners at PennVest and said, look, we've got to figure this out. If we could go regional, that would be great. But if we can't, um, let's figure out how we can use this community-based P3 approach to set up a special purpose entity that would then give Chester um, the, the you know, engineering capability, uh, the staffing capability, the legal capability, the, the finance capability, et cetera, um, policy, local ordinances, um, to, re to launch a, a stormwater utility, but we're going to first do sort of a value for money, you know, um, which is what I always advise you do, a, va a value for money uh, financing approach. And when we looked at Chester and we were able to use innovative tools like GIS and look at, um, you know, amount of impervious cover, um, survey properties, see how many properties, were they commercial, industrial, residential, because we knew we didn't really want to target this on residential, 36% unemployment rate, um, predominantly African-American community experience, you know, the flight of the, you know, 70s, 80s. So we tried, we, we actually went in, I worked with them on uh, what we called a triple bottom line um, request uh, for proposals, we were able to figure out that they could actually build, while they didn't have to, for their permit, their stormwater permit, um, they maybe $800,000, right? It didn't really require um, a lot of work for them, maybe a million. Um, however, they wanted to use this uh, to economically revitalize Chester, clean it up, and attract more of the right kinds of businesses and jobs. And we were able to build a $50 million program, realizing that um, in evaluating those properties, um, many of which are commercial industrial and large amounts of impervious cover causing all that flow and volumetrics, you know, into Chester Creek and, and Ridley Creek and the Delaware, uh, that an impervious cover fee, similar to what Philadelphia um, successfully launched, um, would be the way to go. And, um, and we were able to uh, look at what that revenue base would be that could support uh, $50 million of loans from SRF. Um, and, and, and beyond that, a program that could continue to give you know, for, for 30 years. And, um, and that has happened, actually. Uh, they're on their last tranche, and I think uh, they're at $50 million now. Um, and it's incredible, um, having gone back decades with Chester, to see the improvements and the cleanup and the pride and um, reentry uh, being put to work and local businesses, um, you know, as a result of this. And in fact, with Ida a year, over a year ago, um, as I was dealing with a flood, flooded basement where I am in Butts County, Dr. Strand called and, and said, Dom, guess what? For the first time in 25, 30 years, he grew up in Chester. Um, more than that, probably, we, we didn't flood, Dom. We, <laughs> there was so much trash and debris from all the deferred, you know, management of, of this infra infrastructure that uh, had built up. Uh, and their metrics, that's the other thing we stress is transparency and metrics. And they have the metrics of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of uh, tons of debris cleaned up and the volumes uh, reduced and the green planted and the jobs created and the reinvestment in the community, which I think is over 190 um, 
Oh, gosh. It's such a large number that I'm almost <laughs> afraid to say it, but we have that. So so we were able to peer counsel from Prince George's County. Um, look, here are the kinds of key performance indicators that were set there. Um, these are the ones that you could set, and they, of course, chose jobs, and um, and they are uh, continuing to, to grow out that, and we're able to, to get a functioning stormwater utility in place um, in 18 months. Unbelievable. Almost, what? Which is almost unheard of. Yeah. So as I said, this is about teaching them to fish. I have been mentoring him to be a public official <laughs> uh, and helping to navigate with funding because think about it. All these monies have rules um, sure. attached to it. Um, and, you know, collecting... Chester Water Authority was very helpful. Delcora, which is the whole Chester County water sewer, actually has hired um, Chester Stonewater Authority to put in more green infrastructure so that it protects against their own overflows. So wow. now we have more collaboration um, between three utilities now that's bringing viability and hope back to a Chester. Yeah. Well, Dominique, uh, like I said, at the start of our conversation, we could go for hours and I could ask you about a million different topics. Uh, this was so informative. <laughs> All right. I'll have you back. I'd love to for sure. But uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on a wealth of information. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you to this episode sponsor Varuna. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org.